How do you mean that? Well, I mean that there are the colors and the beauties, the designs, the beautiful way things appear. People themselves, dull people, but I thought dull, appear fascinating, interesting, mysterious, wonderful. But that's only the beginning. Welcome to Strange People, Weird Worlds. Let's get this show started. Well, we're still um, fixing up the house. Um, we, mm-hmm. I've successfully finished all the exterior. Uh, I got the shed. I got two new exterior lights installed. Oh! Um, started the downstairs bathroom oh, yesterday. We're, we're doing the demo. It was supposed to be easy. Uh, Miranda's the one who jinxed us saying that. <laughs> That's not how it always yeah. goes. So to take out the sink, I have to turn off the water and install shutoff valves. For the, the two sink faucets, like, that come out of the wall. The water hoses mm-hmm. come out of the wall. Uh, supposed to be real easy. Went to Lowe's. Picked them up. Brought them back. Uh, Miranda's in the crawl space, turning off the water. While I install it, I yell at her to turn it on. And one side, perfect. The other side, there's just the tiniest little leak. Tiniest little leak. So I go to tighten it. They say tighten it one-eighth at a time. One-eighth mm-hmm. inch at a time. I give it one little tighten, still a little leak. I give it one little more. Fucking boom! <laughs> there's water just, the pipe is straight ahead of me. So the metal piece shot out at me. Now there's just full force water blasting me in the face and everywhere. And I'm yelling through the vent in the floor, turn it off! Turn it off! <laughs> and she had already crawled back across the whole place because I told her it was good. I thought I just had to tighten it a little bit. So she's yeah. trying to crawl all the way back through the crawl space because the water <laughs> shutoff is on the opposite side of the entryway. And yeah, so I spent a couple minutes and it's the hot water valve that I was fucking with too. So Oh, like, shit. Literally right before she turned it off, I started to feel the water getting warmer. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. Luckily, oh, God. Luckily, we hadn't used any hot water yet. <laughs> I'm just picturing something out of a movie right now, just like the metal piece of poop and then Yeah, yeah. So I, I had to cut the pipe some more, and it turns out the pipe I'm trying to work with is just really old and wonky, and it's warped and shitty, so I can't get a good seal on it. Oh, shit. I had to cut out a whole section of copper piping. Really? Yeah, and I was like, okay. Okay, fine. And I, I go, and I was like, I talked to the guy at Lowe's, and I was like, there's like a liquid... Ugh. Like a, ooh. Oh, to get oh, some, a lot of some coffee scoo- grinds in my mouth. Scooby snacks in your coffee? <laughs> yeah, it hit me in the back of the throat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was like, there, there's like a liquid bonding, you know, like a liquid weld I can use, right? He's like, no, you got to solder these boys together. I was like, fuck, I've never done this. So I go home and pull up the YouTube, how to solder copper piping and all that, and Man, they make it sound scary. Like, if you fuck up. And if I fuck up, like, I have to put everything together and then even put on that water stopper I was telling you about just to mm-hmm. find out if the pipes are going to blow up when we turn on the water. Oh, my God. So Talk I, about an anxiety attack. I, my heart was beating out of my chest before Miranda went back to turn on the water. Besides, so I, I had to weld four different spots because it was a turn. So I had to do four different pieces. Um, I had to do... I had to do three of them outside in my courtyard, but the fourth one, like, where I connected everything, I had to do in a tiny little space surrounded by wood and flammable objects. Oh, my God. And it was a, it was a vertical weld on the bottom seam, which is, like, f- the hardest one from what I read or listened to. But anyhow, I did them all first time ever. Hey, high five. High five. Turned on the water and nothing exploded. You got so lucky. Fuck, yeah. The most disheartening thing is right before we turned on the water, I was like, I need to look up to see, like, is there a certain amount of time after the uh, soldering that I can turn on, I have to wait. Mm -hmm. And somebody had asked him, like, a chat room type thing. And he asked the question, and somebody answered. I'm like, yeah, just 30 seconds for the solder to cool, and you're fine. I was like, okay, so we're good. The guy's next post under that, after that, he's like, all right, fuck this. I give up. There's water gurgling and leaking everywhere. I'm just going to hire somebody. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my, oh God. my God. This is. So my heart was just beating out of my chest. Uh, I. 
while she was down there, I'm next to the pipe and like I have a towel with me and I put tension under my feet and like held the towel up in front of me just in case like metal parts come blasting out of me. Oh my god! <laughs> Your own little like ballistic shield. Yeah. Shield. So, but yeah, it was all good. Wow. And that, that was, sounds like an excursion. Uh, three trips to Ace Hardware, three trips to Lowe's. Oh my! Yesterday. In one day? Yeah, that was my whole day yesterday. <laughs> Oh, man. We got water back on in the house, like, 7.45. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just still picturing in my mind, like, like no, oh, my God, turn off the water, turn off the water. Just Miranda, yeah. like, crawling through the crawl space. Yeah. And so here's my luck, too. Like, there's two gas stations by my house. And we're like, okay, we'll just, um, she had to make a separate trip to Ace or something. So I was like, well, drop me off at the gas station so I can use the bathroom and get back to work. Mm-hmm. There's a fucking note on the door that they're, like, closed for some reason. Reopen at 5 a.m. She's like, all right, I'll swing you around to 7-Eleven then. <laughs> this is, like, from Pecos to Huron. Like, you know, a solid amount of blocks away, but on the same street, still on 88th. Same fucking note on the door. <laughs> what? What the hell is going on? Why are the gas stations closed? <laughs> sure, it's something to do with COVID or whatever, but fuck me. So instead of getting back to work, I had to just go with her to Ace because that's where the bathrooms are. Um, and wow. uh, Ace has squatty potties right outside their bathroom, so we bought one. Oh, one of those little like camper potties? This, no, squatty potty. It's like a footstool. You put it. You keep it under your regular toilet. Oh. And it's supposed to put you like knees up in the squatting position, like if you were a he- wild human pooping out in the nature. <laughs> Um, Helps the uh, colon flow. It's supposed to make things flow better. Yeah, yeah. Miranda really likes it. It's I don't. I think I'm too tall. Mm-hmm. I think at six foot four, why the way I'm sitting, I'm already squatty pottying on the toilet. Yeah, you know, I. It's actually funny you say that because there was a little stool that my dad always had in the bathroom, and I thought it was like a decorative stool, but he's like, no, it's for that. And I was like, oh, okay. And I tried it one time. I was like, this doesn't make a difference. And I'm like, I already squat when I go to the bathroom. <laughs> Like, I'm so tall. Yeah, and I was disappointed because I've heard a few people, like, rave about it. Like, a girl I work with, she's like, I travel with it. And I was like... But, yeah, I... Wow. And, and, you know, not to be discussing how I poop with everybody, but I am. I've got a wide gate, you know? Like, my my feet are out wide. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I wider than the, the squatty potty stool, so... Not for me. If you're a tall guy out there, maybe, or or tall lady... Um, or tall person. Yeah. Just, uh, maybe avoid the squatty potty. Uh, save your money. Yeah, tip over your uh, bathroom trash can, see if you like that first, and then <laughs> see what's up. Oh. Uh, wow, our internet connection's working with video for... I know, a hot little minute. Hot little minute. Uh, I'm gonna switch out anyway, since I'm gonna be reading, though. All right. But, um, good it's good s- to see your face. Good, good seeing your face. Looks like you're alive and well. Oh, yep. You know, <laughs> not dead yet. Not dead yet. So I I don't I don't really know what our situation is because our our quarantine ended yesterday, right? So, um stay at home order was supposed to end yesterday, but it got extended to May 11th. It did extend to May 11th. Yeah, cuz I was actually supposed to go back to work uh next week. Okay. And the day that they sent out the message saying that we're like, it was kind of like the rollout text. Yeah. Um, Hancock made the decision that night to extend the order. And the next morning I woke up from a text saying, Hey guys, just kidding. We're going to be out of work for another two weeks. And I'm like, Oh my God. Damn. Well, I, yeah. I miss my dogs. <laughs> uh, I haven't heard shit from my restaurant. So. Oh really? No, I, I, I mean, I don't think they're, um, they're going to bail on me or anything, but I assumed restaurants would at least be closed till May 11th. Cause that was the original order for restaurants. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't see restaurants like opening back up to normal function until like, honestly, June, July. Yeah. I think when we do open up, it's going to be like half capacity at best. Yeah. I don't think things are going to get back to normal flow until after summer, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's fine. I'm just going to use the summer to get this house ready to sell. Uh, If anybody's looking for a townhouse in the Denver area, um, you know, hit me up in about August. Got there you. we go. I got you. I got you. <laughs> it's a cute little place, cute little neighborhood. Cute little place. I'm working hard. You got freshly soldered copper piping, brand new shed out there. <laughs> <laughs> you 
you guys are hearing about all the uh, all the download projects that he's been doing on it. Right, right. Anyhow, um, well, Anywho. welcome everybody to Strange People Weird Worlds. Weird World. My name is Gregory Tanner. Gregory Tanner. Gregory Tanner. With me, as always, is the <gasps> Gregorius. Oh. The gracious. Oh. The gorgeous. Anya oh, Daniel. Hello, 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 everybody. Uh, Today's a G kind of day. Yeah, so I realized I fucked up last week. Um, I used an I word as an A word. I don't, I, I don't remember what I, what I said exactly, but I used an Please. I Yeah, it, it was really dumb. You probably listened to me last week and like, wow, Greg, you're dumb. Way to, uh, way to not pay attention in English class and, uh, you know. Way to stumble it up. Way to fuck Jeez. it up. Yeah, I, Jeez, Greg, first that, then you're late this week by four minutes. Late by, yeah, yeah, it's it's terrible. Um, <laughs> we've probably lost all hundred listeners at this point. Miss you guys. <laughs> We're just, just talking to ourselves now. <laughs> Good thing I don't like to hear my voice. Right. <laughs> no, no, there's sometimes when I like, because I listen to every episode after it gets, after it gets posted. Yeah. And there's sometimes when I'm like, ooh, can I just turn down my voice? And I'm like, no, I have to listen to it. I have not gotten used to my, can you believe I've been doing this podcast for two years now? I know, that's so crazy. Yeah, I got, uh, like, the thing on Facebook today was, um, I think it's, the episode was Disco Devastation or some Disco Destruction. Um, it was about a baseball field that tried a bunch of promotions that went really fucked up. Um, I think in Cleveland, of course, but... And I think I officially joined the show, what, officially a year ago now? It's close to. Definitely yeah, because I remember... It. I joined right around finals time. Yeah, because you're hitting, you're right around 30 episodes right now, so yeah. Yeah, and we're on episode 61, so that makes sense. What? Beautiful listeners. Wow. 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 Look how quickly time flies. Well, if any of you have been listening to me drone on for two years, uh, kudos to you, and thank you very much. And uh, anybody else who's been listening for any amount of time, thank you very much. You guys are we amazing. We appreciate all of you. Yeah, you're amazing. You're all amazing. Beautiful ass human beings. Yeah, I bet they do have some beautiful asses out there. You know, it's, I oh, bet, yeah. Are I you bet kidding our, me? I bet our listeners are top notch. Like, I bet if our listeners were my co-host, I would not be the cutest co-host. Yeah, if I could see our listeners, I would, I would gladly accept losing that. Yeah. Oh, Bada bing, bada boom. By the way, by the way, uh, Aldi Twenty gave me the rightful title of cutest co-host. So that that means nothing. Yes, it does. It means <laughs> nothing. No, that's a business partner. They <laughs> their votes are. We've discussed this. <laughs> no, they made it. They made it known again. So we're going off of it. And case closed. Bringing the dancing lock. Case is coming in now. Case is not closed. <laughs> The lobsters are already in the courtroom, Greg. I will be talking to <laughs> Joseph and Felicity. Uh, no. By the way, if you haven't listened to the All D20 podcast, I mean, this is like the perfect time. You, you're you not doing yeah. anything. It's a great story. I mean, it's a fucking awesome story. All out of the eerie, strange brain of Joseph Musso. Uh, he created a whole world. Um, it's fucking amazing. Great sound quality. Uh, the, all the actors, um, they do fantastic voice jobs. and yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah, listen to it. And uh, also call them out on their fucking bullshit, because <laughs> everybody knows I'm the cutest co-host. Oh, Mr. Gregory, it's okay to be delusional. <laughs> that I you am. might you might have a little brain tumor and you know again that's kind of telling you something else but it's okay <laughs> <laughs> um you know what's funny about that i actually have a a bald spot and a lump on my head from a major concussion when i was about i was in fourth grade really yeah so maybe maybe you know with the amount of time, so when I was in high school, I used to go to a lot of heavy metal shows. Yeah. Uh, I used to headbang quite a bit. A lot oh. of mosh pits. Of My noggin has been hit by other noggins and my, shoes and flying objects. Fucked. I counted uh, like 200 punk rock concerts by the time I was 18. 
Yeah, like, with all the festivals and stuff that I went to with it, I think I was close to, like, over 150 by the time I was 18, 19. Yeah. And maybe that's why. Maybe that's why we're a little extra weird. Oh, and I loved being by the speakers, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, right up front by the um, barrier. Yeah, oh, yeah, speakers and mosh pit. That was my jam. Oh, man, that with, like, all my other concussions. Oh, I'm shot. I I'm, I wonder if they cracked open my noggin because it's a lumpy little frumpy bumpy up there. Oh, I oh, bet. I got a lot of lumps. Yeah. Oh fuck. I have a story, but I think we. I feel like I should, we should probably get into the episode. Yeah, we'll save it for next one. I've got a whopper of a doozy for you today. Ooh, I like it. Put on your thinking caps. Hop in the mystery machine. And. uh... Get ready. Does the mystery machine have insurance? Um, you know, you're going to have to take that up with Hanna-Barbera. That's a licensed trademark, and, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if they insured it or not. The, the, those kids looked a little irresponsible, so I'm going to say no. Okay, that's what I was assuming. It's yeah. okay. You know, I was hoping you were going to say no because yeah, it's a little I mean, life on the edge. They're, they're driving around with, a, you know, a wild animal, the stoner. Yeah, no seatbelts, they're going through galaxies, going through dimensions. Yeah, Freddy's obviously some, like, rich kid who's never, like, you know, cared or done about anything. He's just, like, an asshole living off his fucking dad's money. Little trust fund, baby. (laughs) Yeah, little trust fund, baby. So, anyhow, goddammit. I'm buckled in, I'm ready for the ride. Buckled in and ready for the ride as we are talking about the Yuba County Five. That kind of rhymed. That rhymed. Yeah, that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad. You know, co-hosts are host by day, rapper by night. You know, you know. You know, you know. So this case has been compared to, well, it's considered the American Dyatlov Pass. Now, uh, my dear Anya, you missed that by a few weeks. Um, that would be the episode KGB, UFOs, Yetis, Oh My. Oh, okay. Uh, about the Russian hikers who went off um, and for no reason, apparently no reason at all, kind of, you know, dispersed from their tent, went all different directions. Um, my theory on that was um, some sort of kind of sound waves that maybe made the brains go boogity boogity. Oh, we talked about this during the um, the YouTuber. Yes. YouTuber who went missing in Nevada. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I can't remember what the exact name for like the, the sound waves, the sonic happening or whatever. But yeah, so uh, this this case is kind of similar. Um, let's let's get into it. Let's do this. On February twenty fourth, nineteen seventy eight, five friends from Yuba City, California. Gary Mathias, Jack Madruga, Jackie Hewitt, Theodore Weir, and William Sterling all set out on a trip to watch a basketball game. They left after it finished and somehow drove up a mountain into the wilderness and were never seen again. The men, aged between 24 and 32, had developmental disabilities and were enrolled in a day program for adults with intellectual disabilities. But that did not mean that they were unable to function in society. Gary Mathias had schizophrenia and was on medication to control his symptoms. Jack Madruga had low IQ, but hadn't actually been diagnosed with an intellectual disability. And both of them actually served in the U.S. Army, and both of them had driver's licenses. Hmm. Ted Weir was employed for a while as a janitor and a snack bar clerk, but quit at the urging of his family, who thought the job may be a little too stressful for him. Jackie Hewitt was sometimes slow to respond and a loving shadow to Ted Weir, who looked after Hewitt in a protective sort of way and would dial the phone for him and help him with other things. Jack Madruga was a high school graduate and army veteran. He was laid off in November 1977 from his job as a busboy at Sunset Growers. William Sterling was Madruga's good friend. He was deeply religious and would spend hours at the library reading literature to help bring Jesus to patients in psychiatric hospitals. Okay. So, and just kind of show you that they're capable people. 
but you yeah. know, they are still you know living with their families and things like that. Uh, Gary Mathias was an assistant in his stepfather's gardening business and an army veteran, as I said. However, he was given a psychiatric psychiatric discharge after having some drug problems um, that developed in Germany while he was in the army. Oh, uh, so psychedelics, from what I hear too. Goddamn psychedelics! Goddamn psychedelics! Love them. Oh, I was about to say I love them. Love them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't it, I don't condone drug use, but I do condone opening up your mind to the world of psychedelics. I like responsibly. As a grown as, as an adult, like about once a year for me now. That's all. Just Yeah, know. it's like whenever I just need like a little creative boost or I'm, I need to solve some things yeah. that are deeper down. Yeah, or you know, go to Red Rocks for a good show, trip some balls. That's See, I still can't do it in public, but Oh, I'm a goddamn professional. Oh, but no, I understand it. That took years and years to be able to do public. Yeah, yeah I mean, I can't even smoke weed and go in the public. I'm weird as shit. Yeah, you are a fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! All right. All right. So back to our weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matthias took stelazine and cogitin, both used uh, in treatment for schizophrenia. However, police records showed. He had become violent on occasion and was charged with assault twice. After his return from Germany, he would fail to take his drugs and lapse into a disoriented psychosis that usually landed him in a veteran's administration hospital. Or, as his stepfather Bob would say, he went haywire. Oh, wow. Poor guy. So we're going to talk about some of that later. And as you, if you haven't picked up yet... Um, Gary Mathias is kind of the outlier of this group. Um, the four had been friends for a long time, and they kind of fit that more simple kind of life. They have a very simple, structured life. They're good boys. They go home to their family all the time. Gary was new to the group. Gary's a little different. Okay. Gary was considered high-functioning. He's not really slow. He's just... He's got the, he's diagnosed with schizophrenia, and they say if if situations become stressful for him, that's when he kind of loses it. Gosh, yeah, so it's whenever he gets put under stress, like yeah. he like kind of yeah. loses control of his psyche. Yeah, yeah. Well, the next day, when they failed to return from Chico back to Yuba City, their families became concerned and called the police. They were supposed to play a basketball game of their own the next day. These boys were big basketball fans. Um, they were actually part of a um, part of a team called the Gateway Gators because the the Gateway program is kind of the um, you know work program they worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, their clothes had been laid out the evening before uh, to the point. One of them even reminded their parents, like, they were so excited. Like, we got a big game Saturday. Don't let me oversleep. You know, they were very excited about this game that if they won, it would have gave them a a trip to Los Angeles for winning. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was a really big deal to these boys. And really quickly, how old were all of them? Ages, between ages uh, 24 and 32. Okay, just because you said boys, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, I, I've been using that term a lot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, boys! Um, and, and, you know, kind of, um, I guess not to, I don't mean in an insulting way, to insulting way to kind of downplay their psyche, but, you know, they're, they kind of are like boys living at home still. Yeah. You know. The... The county sheriff's department began searching for the men. On Tuesday, February 28th, a forest ranger found Jack Madruga's car abandoned on an unpaved road near Oroville, completely the wrong way from where they're supposed to be going. Uh, It was in the Rogers Cow Camp area, past uh, Elk Retreat at an elevation of 4,500 feet. These boys went far up into the mountains. Wow, yeah, because they were at what? Close to sea level? They were, yeah, they were, yeah, closer to, you know, the bottom of the mountain. Wow. 
Um, they were still in, like, an area that gets snow and things like that. But In the... <clears throat> all right. Uh, do, do. The turquoise and white 69 Mercury Montego was located around 2.5-hour drive from Chico in the opposite direction from the way they would have been expected to drive home. And as I said, way up in the mountains of the Plumas National Forest. Police found no evidence of foul play, but the car was unlocked. One window was down, and the keys were nowhere to be seen. Candy wrappers, milk cartons, basketball programs were in the car, but all the maps were left perfectly folded in the glove box. And there was no obvious damage to the car, despite the bumpy, unmade road. Uh... From what they say about this road, because they, they were found on an unpaved road past the snow line. And they say, you know, it's pretty impressive in the dark to get your car as far as they did on this road if you don't know that road without damaging it. Oh, so it's one of those, like, gravel roads? Yeah, with lots of, like, potholes and things like that. And it's snowing and dark and turns. and Yeah, and for them, if it's dark and they were able to make it all the way down, I mean... I know people who have lived on, you know, out in the boonies, and they live off a dirt road, and they know that road, and they still lose control of their car. Yeah. So, interesting. Now, it is said Madruga loved his car and always took it easy with it and would definitely never let somebody else drive it. Gotcha. Now, the car had a quarter tank of gas left in it, and when the police hot-wired it, it started right up. So, no signs of failure they're not out of gas, no signs of car failure. They're not out of gas and no obvious signs of force or foul play. It is weird that somebody who, you know, values their car like that would leave a window open in the snow. And leave it unlocked. And unlocked. However, forest rangers searched the area for five days. They found no trace of the men, but soon after a full-on search began a severe blizzard moved into the area, covering any potential tracks. Around nine inches of snow dropped on the upper mountain. The search teams nearly lost ten, uh, nearly lost men themselves two days later as their snowcats struggled through the drifts. So the same thing happened to the Dyatlov Pass you know, incident. They tried to go searching, but a huge blizzard came through and really couldn't do anything until the spring. However, reports did come in from other people. A man named Joseph Shans contacted the police after he heard about the disappearance to say that he had seen men between 11 and 12 p.m. on the Friday that the group had disappeared. He was driving up the gravel road to his cabin when his car became stuck in the snow and unfortunately, while he was trying to push out his car, he suffered from a mild heart attack. Hmm. So he didn't die. He's just in a lot of pain and can't really do anything. Kind of discombobulated. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of discombobulated. It's a good word for the rest of his story. Oh. In one version, whilst he was laying in his car at around 1130 he saw two sets of headlights come up behind him. One was a car, and the other was a pickup. He got out to flag them down, and the two cars stopped about 20 feet from him. The passengers then left together in one car. Joseph spent the rest of the night in his car before walking back down the mountain in the morning. In a second, almost more mysterious version of the story, while laying in his car, he heard whistling noises and saw what he thought were a group of men and a woman with a baby walking in the light of another vehicle's headlights. Sean's called for their help, and the lights turned off, and the whistling sound stopped. A few hours later, he saw flashlight beams outside his car and called out for help again, but immediately the lights went out. Sean's, or Shone's, Stayed in his car until it ran out of gas, then walked eight miles to get help. 
Wow, after he just suffered a heart attack? Still suffering from, technically. Oh, yeah, I guess after yeah. the fact. Wow. Uh, he, he says he passed Madruga's car on the way. He didn't think much about it until he'd seen and heard about the disappearances. Hmm. Pretty, um, let's say the second, Weird. let's say the second story is true. Okay. So we have two, we have two different accounts of it. Uh-huh. I mean, both are weird. Both are weird. And the fact that he was out there and he was able to, I mean, people had walked or, you know, people had passed by him and they didn't stop. Typically, you don't do that unless you're scared or you're doing something sketchy. Yeah. Which is kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, and the baby. Woman with a baby. If you're driving down a mountain at night in the snow and there is a woman with a baby standing by a car on the side of the road, you are one heartless person if you do not stop to help her. Yeah, and the whistling. Now... Could the woman with the baby have an accomplice waiting to do something bad to somebody? Uh, uh, like a little um, switch bait situation. Yes, a little Red Dead Redemption type deal. Hiding, or, hiding around behind the horse carriage. Um, the boys had a window rolled down. What if they pulled over talk to this lady and all of a sudden you know maybe a gun gets drawn or something and they just haul ass like off the next exit they can find that takes them to this fucking road they're on and I guess one, one of the biggest mysteries is why why they left that car yeah especially if you know he loved his car as much as people claim and you you still have gas to sit there and run heat. Yeah, and the fact that it's snowy, so it's not like, you know, it was a nice night, so they went outside. And he took his keys. He didn't lock it. The window was down. And, yeah, he, and on top of that, you know, a, a couple different of these, these men had gone on camping trips with their families before. They hated the outdoors. They wanted nothing to do with it. Oh, so, a little food for thought there. Um, we're going to keep pushing forward. we got a lot to cover. But that's uh, Joseph Schoen's story, and um, kind of interesting to think about. Definitely a little interesting to think about. Or yeah. even if the boys, maybe his car is kind of blocking a road, and say these boys are already, um, they're already tripping out because they're lost, uh, Maybe even Gary, like, is freaking out from a stressful situation and making everybody else freak out. And they pull behind this car because they feel like they can't get around it. And now they hear, like, a guy calling at them, and they maybe think they're in trouble, and they kind of take off. Like, I don't know. Just something to think about. Hmm. I have a lot of things flowing to my mind right now. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, a woman reported seeing the five men in a red pickup truck on Saturday and Sunday about an hour's drive from the site of their abandoned car. She owned, oh. she owned a store there <clears throat> where two of the men came in to buy food. One of them made a phone call from a nearby phone booth, and the other stayed in the truck. So I don't necessarily like this story as much. It was also debated by their family. Uh, this is just super out of character for these these guys like they their life is they're able to live their life by routine yeah by having you know this schedule and again they were stoked about their basketball game yeah i mean the only thing that makes sense is the pickup truck because the one guy accounted said that he saw the pickup truck yeah that one night and you could think maybe a taken-by-force situation, but the way they're described at this gas station, there's nothing really forceful about that. You know, two yeah. men over here, one's making a phone call. And also, it's only five, so it's not five plus. 
which would have to be if they were being held hostage or something. Also, their family said there's no way they had enough money to be just gallivanting around buying stuff here and there. Like, they had enough money for, like, the, like, one stop of snacks. Which, um, was accounted for. I don't think we got to that. Um, they did stop at a gas station on their way after the basketball game. It was called Bears, and they recorded, um, bothering the clerk there because they were almost closed. And the things she said they bought were accounted for in the car. The candy wrappers, the Coke... And the the milk, which is weird. Containers. Yeah. Um, so after that, no, nothing for months. And as spring snow melted on the mountains, in June of 1978, a man riding his motorcycle through the area noticed a broken window on a forest service trailer. The trailer was located about 19 miles up the mountain from where the car was found. That's a long fucking way. Yeah, and for none of them to, like, the outdoors. No one wants to fucking hike 19 miles. On top of that, when they left, their parent families even argued with them to put on heavy jackets. But a couple of them said, I don't, I don't need a heavy jacket. I'm just going to the basketball game. Ah, uh, so they weren't even dressed for the weather. Yeah, which I get. You know, on snowy days here, like, if I'm just going to work and things like that, if you're walking from one heat-controlled environment to the next, it really doesn't matter how well you're dressed. Yeah. As long as you don't break down in the snow somewhere. Yeah, it's like I, like you said, unless there's snow on the ground and I plan on being outside for more than five, ten minutes, I really don't grab any heavy winter stuff. Yeah. Um, so and it also was documented that a Forest Service snowcat ran up the road to the trailer on the night they went missing leaving a packed path in the snow, or I'm close to the night they went missing, leaving a packed-down path in the snow that the men might have followed. Mm. Inside the trailer, they found the body of Ted Weir. Ooh. The day after Weir's body was discovered, searchers found the remains of Madruga and Sterling. They lay on opposite sides of the road of the trailer, 11 miles from the car, so like halfway to the trailer. Weird. Madruga had been partially eaten by animals and dragged about 10 feet to a stream. He laid face up and his right hand curled around a watch. Sterling was in a wooded area scattered about 50 feet over. Nothing left but bones. Um, Unfortunately, if you do go missing in an area with wildlife, that's pretty much the case. Yeah, you're going to get eaten. Um, two days later, just off the same road, much closer to the trailer, Jackie Hewitt's father found his son's backbone along with a pair of Levi's and his, his rippled sold shoes. Oh, that's heartbreaking for his dad to find him like that. Yeah. And it was said that the forest service kind of told him like, Hey man, we don't really think you should be doing this, but his dad insisted on it. His backbone. So he found his spine just laying there. Yeah. Oh, fuck. That's gnarly. Yeah, his skull was found the next day about 100 yards downhill and was verified by the family dentist. Oh, shit. Hewitt's remains were located northeast of the trailer, like Sterling and Madruga's. Northwest of the trailer, about a quarter mile away, searchers found three wool forest service blankets and a two-cell flashlight lying by the side of the road. The flashlight was slightly rusted and been turned off. It was impossible to tell just how long it had been there. They found no sign of Gary Mathias. However, they did find his tennis shoes inside the Forest Service trailer. And um, Weir, who had been noted to have boots on, leather, like leather boots on that night, mm-hmm. his shoes were missing. Ah. Weir had bigger feet than Matthias. However, if Matthias had swollen, frostbitten feet, those boots might have been a better option for him if he needed to trek on or something like that. Yeah, especially compared to his little tennis shoes. Yeah. Now, it appeared that 
appeared that Ted had lived 8 to 13 weeks after his disappearance based on the length of his beard and about a 100-pound weight loss. He weighed just 120 pounds at the time of his death. Several bed sheets were tightly tucked over his body, indicating that someone else had been with him in the trailer, and he could, that, like he could not have bundled himself up in this manner. He was basically like burritoed. As I said, his leather shoes were missing. A table by the bed held his nickel ring with Ted engraved on it, his gold necklace, his wallet with cash inside, and a gold Walthman watch with a crystal missing, which none of the families could identify as any of the five men's objects. Um, Hmm. Now here's where things get kind of odd. Inside the trailer, authorities found heavy clothing, matches, playing cards, books, wooden furniture, other materials which have could easily been burned to start a fire. But there were no apparent attempts to start one despite the freezing temperature on the mountains. Even worse, a propane tank connected to the trailer could have provided a ready source of heat, cooking fuel, and was completely untouched. All they had to do was turn on the gas. And they would have had heat to the whole trailer for weeks. In a storage shed outside, there was a year's supply of sea rations. Uh, individually canned, pre-cooked, and prepared meals issued by the U.S. military. The men consumed 36 of the meals, but left the majority of them untouched. In addition, there was a huge supply of freeze-dried meals... Uh, also interesting to note that the sea ration cans were opened with an army P-38 can opener. Now, if you look this up, this is just a little thin piece of metal that has a piece that pops out of it, and you kind of have to, like, know how to wedge the can open. You have to really be taught how to use this thing. But we do have two army veterans in the group, Gary Mathias and Madruga. To quote Josh Thompson, the special agent of California Department of Justice who had joined the investigation, Bizarre. No no explanations and a thousand leads. Every day you've got a thousand leads. There was some force that made him go up there. Jack Madruga's mother, Mabel, says they would not have fled off into the wood like a bunch of quail. We know good and well that somebody made them do it. We can't visualize someone getting the upper hand on these five men, but we know it must have been. They seen something at the game, at the parking lot, says Ted Weir's sister-in-law. They might have seen it and don't even realize they've seen it. Interesting, interesting, interesting. What I find fascinating is the fact that that one guy was tucked in yeah. And his big old leather shoes are missing, and then we're still missing Gary. To this day, we are missing Gary. So I wonder if, like, maybe they thought that they got trapped there because you said a huge blizzard had hit. Yeah. And, I mean, at that point, I'm assuming where they're at an elevation, typically you're going to get hounded with snow, and if there's already snow there before they had left, maybe they thought that they were stuck, and so they stayed there for a while, and then maybe Ted really started to deteriorate, and then Gary, like, maybe went to go find help, and so he put on his shoes. See. But because they all take most of it, I mean, Gary was on medication for schizophrenia, and when you don't take those med- when you don't take your medication... He goes haywire, as his yeah. stepfather Bob says. And I can't imagine any medication that lasts longer than 24 hours. No, I mean, you could take it. If you're taking it religiously for weeks and months and even years, I mean, you're going to, everything has, you know, a half-life. Yeah. So it's going to be in your blood system for a while. But after two weeks, I mean, at that point, for the most part, it's out of your blood. Yeah. So, I mean, again, why did they leave the car? Why are they, why are they split up? Why'd they go that direction? So, um, I, I do like the, the, the following the snowcat trail seems reasonable. Did they send two up ahead 
I mean, why are they split up the way they are? Hmm. I think your biggest questions here. How did they get lost in the first place? It's a straight shot from Chico to Yuba City down Highway 70. Um, It's a 46-mile drive around one hour. What happened around the car? The, The car apparently is fine. It wasn't stuck. It had gas. Why did they leave the car? I mean, Gary was the driver, so... No. Jack Madruga. Oh. Jack Madruga is the driver. Oh, okay, Jack Madruga. I'm thinking, like, who knows, maybe they had gotten into, like, an altercation or something, and he started driving, and... Oh, man, I don't know. This is a hard one. There... There's people who question Gary Mathias. And I'm going to read from a Reddit page. Supposedly um, a newspaper called The Bee. I forget. I think it's from San Francisco. It's a California city. I forget one. Um, Supposedly did a deeper dive on Gary Mathias. Uh, quote, they were, they were able to, uh, let's see here. The B was given permission to access police records from the case as long as they did not photograph or take them out of the Yuba City Sheriff Office. They found information in the records that would indicate that it is possible that Gary Mathias was not as portrayed in the media after the disappearance. Here's the description they write in the article. These files, clips, and interviews shape a disturbing image of Matthias, billed in virtually all media reports at the time as another lost lamb caught out in the cold. Matthias was an aberration within the flock, a young man who did not belong with the others. He was violently schizophrenic and had a history of drug use and wasn't intellectually disabled like the others. While all four were close friends for multiple years, Matthias was new to the group. All five had met through the Gateway Project. Uh, Matthias had just joined in the year prior, while the other four had joined years ago. The others had documented intellectual disabilities. For example, Ted Weir, who was found in the cabin, was described to the bee by his brother as lacking common sense. The brother mentions a story where he had to carry his brother out of their burning house because his brother refused to get up because he had to rest before work the next day. Matthias, however, did not have any any documented intellectual disabilities in the same way the other four did. He had been a football player in high school and served in the military following graduation. He did have a problem with drugs and was first put into a psychiatric facility during his sophomore year of high school after a bad hallucination trip. He would, oh yeah, gotta watch out for the bad trip. (laughs) Super psychedelics. Yeah, yeah. He would later be medically discharged from the military for paranoid schizophrenia. After being discharged, he quickly went downhill. While being in jail, he called over a guard and punched him in the face. Oh my god. That same month, he was staying at his cousin's home, and his cousin's wife was sleeping after taking medication for illness. The cousin, after worrying why a bathroom break was taking so long, caught caught Matthias fondling his wife. (gasps) After his cousin told him he was calling the police, he proceeded to tell his cousin that he wanted to return to jail. He was a little disturbed. A little bit. He was arrested three months later for threatening to stab a woman in the jaw and then telling the woman's three-year-old child, I thought I'd kill you once. I guess I'll have to do it again. Holy shit! Yeah. This guy is cuckoo. He's a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Just a little bit. Matthias also had a history of breaking out of facilities and walking long distances. After being arrested in Stockton at one point, he was sent to a psychiatric facility. He spent two days there before breaking out through a draining pipe and walking slash hitchhiking the 80 miles back home. At one point, he also left his home 
to go live with his grandmother in northern Oregon. His mother begged him to return home, yet he hung up the phone on her. He showed back up a few weeks later, filthy, and claimed that he had walked from Portland, stealing milk off porches and eating dog food to stay alive on the 540-mile trip. The final violent incident occurred a few weeks after his trip back home. He broke into the home of a local couple, and the couple awoke to find Matthias standing in their bedroom. He told them that he was looking for a ring to return to Satan, and that, he also, and that they also owed him rent money because the house was his. After the incident, he supposedly straightened out, and that's when he joined the Gateway Projects and would become friends with the four other men. Despite his seemingly 180-degree change, some were still wary of him. The B states the following, quote, Following his 1978 interview with Matthias, I'm sorry, with Matthias's longtime acquaintance, Janet Enzera, Yuba County Sergeant James Black wrote that Matthias had repeatedly told Enzera of a dream where he and several other people would disappear. Enzer called Matthias a very violent person, hurting several men seriously, and said that he also hates women. Just to throw that in there. I find that very interesting. He had a dream where he and several other people would disappear. Yeah, and the fact that he was the only one who was not accounted for. Uh-huh. And with his history, I mean, he probably... I just I wonder how they got there, unless maybe he threatened... Was it Jack, was it, the driver? Jack was the driver, yeah. Maybe he threatened Jack to go all the way out there. Yeah. And then once they got there, he, like, led them on this huge trek through the mountains, and then from there he just, like, had his little... Oh my god, he probably tormented them and had them in like a personal hell. He it's it's a possibility. I mean, given his history, and I know people can change, but also history yeah. does repeat itself. He's got a history for running away, history for traveling long distances. He also had a friend in a nearby mountain town, uh, Forbes City, which um, you know, it's also a possibility. He like was like, No guys, you're taking me here now. I could see that, and then maybe Jack pulled over because he was, out, like, done with it. Yeah. Well, a brother of one of the victims also notes that the Matthias family were weird following the disappearance. The B states, No one pulled a trigger on the boys, but something or someone killed them. Asked if he thought Matthias set his brother and others up to die, Dallas Weir replied, That's the only thing that makes sense. Weir recalled that the 90s television series Unsolved Mysteries sought the involved family's permission to do an episode on the missing five sometime after the disappearance. Every family agreed except the Matthias family, despite him still being missing. Matthias's surviving siblings declined to comment or could not be reached by the bee. Quote, that's just suspicious. I'm not saying they knew, but, well, you can probably guess what I I think Weir's yeah. father said. I mean, there's a high possibility that he made it out alive, and he, I mean, either they knew beforehand or he called them and told them afterhand. Yeah. And they could just not want to lie, so they're just saying no comment. Yeah. Or, I mean, you know, they could just be shut in, and, I mean, there's... He could be out, Gary Matthias could be like a homeless man somewhere right now. Yeah. You know, just off his rocker and off his mouth. I mean, he'd be like 70. Yeah, probably not now, but, you know, maybe could have been a homeless man for a while or something, or just a drifter. Yeah. I mean, huh. I mean, he, if the stories of him traveling those great distances by foot and hitchhiking are true, he's obviously very capable of functioning, Doing that. functioning like that. And I. I can't imagine he would have been on his medication when he was, you know, eating dog food and stealing milk from porches either, so. Jesus Christ. I, hard not to kind of point a finger at him a little bit, I guess. Yeah, and I don't want to, but it's like, 
with this prior history, it's it would be almost foolish to not take that into pot like an impossible account. Absolutely. Messiah, you're a weird dude. Yeah. And um, that is the story of the Yuba County Five. Interessante. Ah, yeah. Ah. You stumped me. <laughs> Just, just there's no explanation for these guys doing what they did. I yeah, literally the only thing that I could come to that could come to my mind is Messiah had a schizophrenic snap. Yeah, I mean, if not him, there had to be some other outside force, but there's just no signs of that aside from a possibly hallucinating man having a heart attack. Yeah, which, I mean, even then, and just the fact that they hiked that 19 miles up to that trailer from the parked car, I mean, with the temperatures, I can even see maybe, like, one or two of them, like, not making that trek. Yeah. Or maybe they got there, and then the ones who were found, you know, 11, was it almost, like, 10 miles away from the trailer? Yeah, so pretty much halfway between the car and the trailer. Maybe they had enough of it, and they tried to leave, or... They maybe trying to go back to the car. Yeah, maybe they, you know, they decided maybe those two were like, you know what, we were going to go back. We've had enough of this. And on the trek back, they ended up, you know, either succumbing to natural, like a natural disaster or maybe Messiah. I have no idea. That's an interesting, the fact that his, that the boots were gone, but those tennis shoes were left. I definitely think, ah. I feel like Messiah had something to do with it. Yeah. And, I mean, just... I mean, Gary was definitely had to be smart enough to, like, you know, survive off the sea rations and get some heat going in that place. Yeah. And, I mean, who knows? Be, I mean, also, he had that dream. So maybe that was a part of his whole grand plan. And then, finally, after a couple months, he... You know, he thought the coast was clear and so he could make his way out before yeah. the before spring came. Yeah, he just... Maybe wanted to fulfill some weird dream. I don't know. Very eerie. Very eerie. Good story, Greg. Thank you. That was a good one. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, uh, let let us know what you think, guys. Yeah, please. I'm curious about the other theories here. Right? Yeah, pretty, um, pretty baffling. Um. This time, I, I, again, I don't think it's some sort of sonic uh, or uh, audi- audi- auditory phenomenon like with the Dyatlov group. I, I definitely believe force was involved with this or threat of some sort. Yeah, I think that, I think the four of them, I think one of them was a bad apple. Eh, you know, signs point to it. Signs definitely point to it. Yeah, I mean, it's the variables are pointing towards it, and with this history, the dream, and the fact that he was the only one not accounted for, and he was the only one out of, you know, the others that wasn't suffering from, like, a mental handicap. Yeah, it's not looking good for Gary's case. No. Or the way his family acted afterwards. What a weird world we live in. (laughs) Weird, 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 weird world. (laughs) Weird, weird, weird. Well, everybody, uh, we will talk to you next week. Next week uh, for the mini episode. Another mini, little mini boy, mini so. Little mini so. Yeah, little mini guy, little mini me. And uh, until then... Make sure you check out the All D20 podcast. It's just All D20, no, the All D20 podcast. And give that a good, good, solid listen. And leave them a five-star comment letting them know definitely that Greg is the cutest co-host and they need to get off their bullshit. Don't, don't listen to them, guys. And uh, then you can hop on over, give us that five-star comment, let us know. That I'm the cutest co-host and Anya needs to get off her bullshit. Okay, you know, you guys can push him off that high horse. It's going to be okay. <laughs> He'll be all right. 
And um, make sure you follow us at, where are we at? We're at SP Weird World on Instagram and Facebook. You can follow all D20 at the same places. Um, Who else do we like? We like Josh. Follow Josh Hartco, too. He's a good guy. Love the Josh. Love Love the the Josh. Uh, The Supa Squids. That's S-U-P-A Squids. Was it two, follow the boys. Two, yeah, follow them boys. They're, them boys are them boys are a lot of fun. They do some fun stuff. I love their they new, their new album cover is hilarious. Oh my god, it made me laugh so hard. <laughs> <laughs> that shit is funny. Um, that Frank's the baby, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Um, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's everything. That's everything. So uh, actually, that's not it. That's I'm not even, it. We need you guys to do one more thing. Ooh, one more thing. One more thing. Greg, what is that? Go ahead and keep <laughs> it weird. Well, I never knew anything like that in the whole of my life. Nice.